When you think about Greek life, Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind. But we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian, but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian Podcast. Hey, everybody, Allison here, your host of the Greek and Christian podcast. Uh, For the month of January and February, we're going to be doing a couple of re-releases of past episodes um, until we launch our new season at the end of February. So this week, we are re-releasing our episode with York Moore, Kappa Alpha Psi from the University of Michigan. We chose this episode because this week is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And York Moore is a member of a historically black fraternity. Uh, as I said before, he's a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. And if you didn't know this, Martin Luther King Jr. is also a member, was also a member of a black fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And so we thought it would be great to feature one of our guests from a historically black fraternity this month. So we hope you enjoy this episode as we speak to York more about his experience and his fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, John. Glad to have you here. I'm Allison, by the way, your host. I realized in the first episode, I think I just get so comfortable with our audience that I didn't introduce myself. But hey, we probably we might have some new listeners. So I am Allison, one of your hosts on the Greek and Christian podcast. And with me is my good friend, J-Mac or John. Uh, So, John. What's going on in your world today? How you doing? Yeah, doing all right. Getting ready for, I uh, got a birthday this weekend, so. Ah, wait, your birthday? It is my birthday, oh, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Are you doing anything fun? Uh, you're pretty low key, yeah. I don't I do not do uh, anything real big like uh, I used to do in school. So just, uh, yeah, low key, good people, uh, a good meal. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I, birthdays uh, are just real chill uh, for me. It's just uh, quiet time, good meal, good people. That's usually like a good that. time for me. I like that. I had my birthday about a month ago, and I took a nap on my birthday. So it was really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> this is what you have to look forward to uh, as an alumni: naps and uh, good meals. <laughs> I mean, we do we do promise it's pretty great. Okay, yeah, it is good. <laughs> we're not we're not lame. I mean, probably saying that I'm not lame maybe makes me a little lame, but (laughs) anyway, (laughs) well, okay. If you are just joining us, uh, we are in a series exploring the intersection between Greek and Christian values. Uh, And, you know, every Greek chapter was founded on a set of principles or values in which our founders wanted to instill. And those values are really meant to shape the lives of future generations. Obviously our current members, but also current future generations. They're in the creeds we recite and the rituals we practice during initiation. And these values, they're meant to shape the way we live and approach our lives. And the same is true for our Christian faith. Like our founders, God has a set of values which are intended to shape the way we live and relate and think and feel about everything. 
So the question for us that we've been navigating in this series is how do these Greek and Christian values intersect? Where do they align? Where do they diverge? And how can we practically connect our faith with our Greek experience today? Yes. So to help us do that, uh, we have a guest with us. Uh, so I would like to introduce York Moore, uh, who's here with us today. York, how you doing? Good. Great to be with you. Yeah. So York is a brother of the prestigious Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, which is one of the Divine Nine or historically Black Greek organizations that comprise the National Panhellenic Council. Uh, York also has a really interesting faith story. He became a Christian from atheism while studying philosophy at the University of Michigan, uh, where he got his philosophy degree at Michigan. And he also has a master's in global leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary. He now serves as the executive director of Catalytic Partnerships and as the national evangelist for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is the organization that we all work for. And York also co-founded the Every Campus Coalition, which is a coalition of uh, over 100 organizations, denominations, and church networks that are joined together to seek God for revival on our college campuses in America today. Uh, having heard him numerous times, York is a gifted speaker, a revivalist, an abolitionist, and an author of several books. And somehow, <laughs> on top of all of that, he also has time for uh, a wife and three children who he lives with in Michigan currently. So, York, thanks again for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you here today. Yeah. Ooh, that was quite the uh, intro. I, I had shivers. I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> All of our guests are such big deals, and I love it. I just have to say, I love it. Yes. It's, a, it's an awesome resume. So uh, yeah, it's an honor to, to have you on. It's going to be fun to be able to talk specifically about and, and all the things that you've experienced uh, and accolades to kind of take it back to some of where it all started uh, with, with you and Jesus, which was uh, in the Greek system as a brother of Kappa Alpha Psi. Uh, and so uh, to start out with, I'm assuming some of that will come out today, but uh, yeah, to start out with, is there any sort of... Um, fun or uh, in, yeah, good time that you remember from your undergrad experience as a member of a fraternity? Well, I remember showing up on campus as a freshman, not having really any background in uh, Greek life. I grew up uh, homeless on the streets of Detroit. Um, you know, my parents were educated to the master's degree level, but because of drug and alcohol abuse and poverty, you know, I didn't really think much about higher education. So when I finally got into the greatest university in America, the University of Michigan, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, I showed up on campus really not knowing anything about, uh, about anything. And I remember, you know, showing up and entering into one of these common areas that all of our campuses have and uh, just hundreds and hundreds of students packed in gathering around these African-American students who were, you know, donned in uh, fatigue, uh, military gear, and I came to find out that these were Qs or Omega Sci-Fi. Uh, they were they were grunting and shouting and marching and stomping, uh, which I later found out is a, a normal part of the Divine Nine uh, yeah. value system, step shows and those kinds of things. And I thought to myself, this is this is crazy, and how is this legal, and is this safe? But at the same time, <laughs> I was like exhilarated. Because I saw for the first time a different picture of my people. You know, I had grown up in the, in the ghetto, in the hood. I knew what it meant to be black on the streets. 
I never knew what it meant to be black on the college campus. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning, I had this picture of what it meant to be black on campus through the lens of Greek life. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I love that story. I'm so excited to hear you share more. Um, well, you know, you you shared that you didn't really have much context for Greek life when you got to school. So why did you join your fraternity? What attracted you to that? Well, when Kappa Alpha Psi first came to the University of Michigan at Dearborn, I did my undergraduate work at Dearborn and, and my honors work on, on main campus. Uh, again, I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't know the differences between the fraternities. Um, but they actually came recruiting me. And I, I, I still to this day don't know why. I love my SANS in the, in the black fraternity world. We call our fraternity brothers SANS, the ones that you actually pledge and cross with. Those are my SANS. And so I was actually one of 10 founders of the New Upsilon chapter at the University of Michigan in Dearborn. And, uh, you know, really the, the thing that attracted me most was just here were some very intelligent, very good looking, forwardly, uh, forward uh, looking, upwardly mobile African-American men. I don't think I had ever experienced that. And I said to myself, whatever they got, that's kind of what I want. And as I took one step after another, I attended uh, our first smoker in the Greek world, my, my son just uh, pledged ATO and he's living at the house right now. And so I'm actually learning the vast differences between, uh, you know, uh, the, the divine nine ecosystem and a lot of the white fraternities and sororities. Uh, we don't have Russian bids and all those kinds of things. And in, in the Kappa world, we have smokers. Uh, it's kind of the investigational meetings. Um, and as I began to attend these smokers that later turned into our, our, our sessions, you know, I was just hooked. I was hooked by the promise of brotherhood. I was hooked by the sense of camaraderie, the same adjacent stories that um, that these guys had been living connected to mine. I didn't feel alone having escaped from the hood to go to a great school. Uh, I felt a connection with these guys that I don't think I had ever experienced with anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... It's awesome to hear uh, in a unique experience. Um, so within that, uh, as you uh, joined Kappa Alpha Psi and crossed uh, into the fraternity, uh, catch me up or catch us up on your faith story. You know, when did you, how did you come to faith in the midst of uh, your chapter? And was there any sort of uh, challenge or did you get any sort of criticism or pushback because of that? Yeah, and that's, I think, uh, the real hard part of my story is that, you know, having grown up uh, as an atheist, we had a sign in the front of our home that said the Moors, the atheists. We had a barrel on the side of our home for burning Bibles. And so I, I wasn't raised as a garden variety atheist. My parents were militant followers of a philosopher named Ayn Rand, who was the founder of an atheistic philosophy called objectivism. So when I went to the university, my main goal was not to become you know, a member of Kappa Alpha Psi, or even to get a great degree from a great school. Uh, but my main goal was to discover, could there possibly be meaning in life without God? And so I, I, I double majored. Uh, I focused on uh, stats, research methodology in the psych department, and then philosophy at the, in the philosophy department, became an honor student in both of those departments. I was just absolutely driven. Again, you know, academic success wasn't really what, what was motivating me although that was an accolade that came along the way. But my passion, my drive was really to discover, can there possibly be meaning in a life without God? And um, so there were almost two stories playing out in my life at the same time when I encountered Cap Alpha Psi. 
you know, there was this exploration of my black identity. There was this exploration of what it meant to be a collegiate, uh, forward-looking, upwardly mobile. And then there was this internal world that was driving me. Uh, and that is, you know, how can we actually have meaning without God? And so it really kind of collided. In my third year, I had uh, finally, you know, submitted my honors uh, work in both of those departments. And I remember just having a great sense of pride and accomplishment. And um, I'm giving you the very short version, but after handing that paper in, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it was very unusual. You know, we typically think of God saying very nice flowery things to us, like I love you and those kinds of things. And he, he says those kinds of things for sure. But the interesting thing about the biblical God is that he will test you and take you to the floor in the very areas where uh, you are struggling and questioning. And so as I turned those, those papers in, I remember hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit as clearly as I hope you're hearing me today. And the Holy Spirit asked me a question. If you really believe everything that you had written in this paper, and that the, the paper was a, basically a declaration that life cannot have meaning without transcendence, there is no meaning to life. All we're, all we're doing is just entertaining ourselves until we die. It, the Holy Spirit said, if you really believe what you've written in this paper, then why are you doing anything at all? You know, I was a striver. I had two jobs. I had multiple girlfriends. I was a founder in the fraternity. I was academically successful. And I didn't have an answer for this challenge from God. And now looking back, I know it was the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't have used those words at the time. But uh, there was this challenge to me that, that really brought to a head a time of crisis. And that crisis led me to do something very unusual as an atheist. I began to interview Christians. I began to pray. I began to try to read the Bible, and didn't, not successfully. I had never really read the Bible in my life. And uh, the interesting thing about Kappa Alpha Psi is that, like many of the Divine Nine fraternities and sororities, were founded on Christian principles by Christian women and men, uh, were committed to the Bible. In fact, the very first time I ever memorized any scripture was as a part of my pledge process. <laughs> I went to church as a part of my pledge process, I and mean, that's unusual. And uh, so I began to sit down with my sans. I began to sit down with other uh, fraternity members. Uh, my A couple of my girlfriends claimed claim to be Christians. And I would interview them and ask them why they believed in, in God. And there were absolutely no good reasons, you know, from my perspective. And, and so that really kind of began the end of a process that, you know, I can unpack for a little bit. But there were these two processes, uh, John, that, that really kind of came to a head at the same time I crossed. Right. And so I'm going through this inner turmoil about life and purpose and meaning. And at the same time, I cross over and all of a sudden I'm this celebrated person on campus going to the parties, uh, new access to secret knowledge, access to new ladies. And, you know, so those were the two processes that were going on at the same time. Yeah. Which is such a it's such a paradox, you know, that on one hand, you have achieved what is uh, assumed to be in a lot of different contexts, especially in Greek life, it's sort of the ultimate college experience. You have access to beautiful people, you have access to education, to accolades, you have access to friends, uh, and all the sorts of, um, you know, seen as a leader and an influencer, and how much sense of like value people draw from that. And yet it's interesting you, the juxtaposition to your internal world as this going through this inner turmoil of, of, is there any meaning to any of this? Is there any real value in any of the, even though it feels awesome and everything around you saying uh, you've got it, 
to be questioning that at, at the same time is a is an interesting place to to be in, you know. Um, how did you? Yeah, you said you could break that down a, a little bit more. How did you handle that? Uh, how did you sort of resolve that uh, the the tension within you? Well, if we're honest, if if your listeners uh, think back on their story, or maybe it's a current ongoing struggle, we're always living in two worlds. There is this outside world where we're trying to manufacture this mask and live into the life that we hope is true about us. And then there's this internal world. And that internal world is a, a struggle and a conversation with a God who loves us and is near to us. And you know, as that began to unfold in my life, I, I came to the conclusion that, well, if, if there really is no God and life has no meaning and all we're really doing is entertaining ourselves to death, drinking, sex, um, you know, the acquisition of material wealth, all of the things that we, we live for, to me, that wasn't good enough. And so mm-hmm. I'll never forget, I was actually at our first step show, this big party, hundreds of people. I was a brand new, what we call neophyte on the yard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the, the place was packed, the music was booming. And uh, I just remember looking around and having this moment of clarity. And I said to myself, man, if this is it, it's not enough. Like my soul was, there was a hole in my soul that was much, much larger than the things that I had been able to acquire or the things that I was hoping to acquire in life. And so I decided that night that I was going to kill myself, which, you know, I know it sounds like a radical conclusion, but I thought, you know, that why, what does it matter if I live a day or a hundred million years, if we die and we cease to exist, why continue going on striving? And, uh, you know, again, you know, I was interviewing Christians. I had a pastor friend. I, I actually went to church because the uh, church girls were easier to get along with, if you know what I mean, at the time. And I sat down with Pastor Dave and I said, Pastor Dave, how, how do you know God exists? And he said, well, you know, we don't really know if the Bible is the word of God or if Jesus was really born of a virgin. You know, how can we know such things? Now, at the time, I had no idea that there were Christians who would call themselves Christians and and disbelieve in, you know, the the core story of the Bible. To me, it's a colossal waste of time. If It's either true or it's not. And so I let him talk and he gave me a bunch of books and prayed some, you know, benign prayer for me and I went on my way. And so it all came to a head. I started also doing something as an atheist that, you know, many atheists won't tell you that we do, but we do. Uh, and that is pray. And so every day uh, for a couple of weeks, I would cross my arms and I'd say, okay, Allah, Buddha, Krishna, Jesus, he, she, it, whoever you may be, show me the Quan, you know, give me the, the sky writing, give me the angel Moroni at my, my doorstep, give me the algorithm that proves that you are there. And I kind of threw this gauntlet down and absolute silence. And, you know, the one thing about the biblical God, the real God of the universe is that he doesn't come to us on our terms. He comes to us on his terms and his, and his, and his time. And uh, I remember, you know, saying one of these prayers and doing all these interviews and I was in the movie theater watching The Little Mermaid, which shows you how old I am. I didn't watch it on stream or in the backseat of a you know car ride. I actually watched it live. And, and I remember just thinking to myself, well, here we are in a Christian nation on the verge of a Christian holiday, entertaining ourselves to death, watching this stupid cartoon. If this is all there is, if there's no God and there's just The Little Mermaid, I'm going to kill myself. So I got my car going about 90 miles an hour down the freeway, cap a red car, gold rims, gangster lean, leaning way back. And my plan was to kill myself on the viaduct near our home. And I got the car going 90 miles an hour, fully intending to kill myself, lining up with the viaduct. 
the presence and the power of Jesus filled my car. Again, I wouldn't have used those words back then, but looking back, I knew it was the Lord. And God steered me to safety. And it still wasn't enough to change my mind, but it was enough to get me home that night. I had a divine encounter with the God of the universe that saved me from the brink of death. And I fell asleep in a cold sweat. I woke up in a cold sweat. And for the first time in my life, I prayed a prayer of desperation. I said, God, that was you last night. I need to know right now because I'm still going to kill myself. And uh, that was the first day of the last 30 years of my life. Uh, that was the moment of transition. And boy, did that, that had an impact on everything that I've done and everything that I am up until this day. Yeah, man. Wow. That is yeah. powerful. Yeah. I mean, one incredible story. Uh, th those are things that you, you can't make up, right? Uh, two, uh, I mean, I really appreciate the, the in it, many people have different paths uh, of coming to the Lord, you know, uh, and what I appreciate about yours is the, the intellectual engagement of really carrying out uh, these different belief systems to their consequential end. Uh, and really critically thinking about, and not just kind of just going with the flow or whatever, but thinking about secularism and atheism and carrying it to a consequential end of, well, it's just meaningless. It's just entertainment until we die and turn back into stardust or, or whatever. And then the universe will recycle us and uh, to say, and to kind of come to grips with that and just call it for what it is of like, of like if I'm going to live this way, this is what I'm buying into. Um, and, um, and yet, really questioning that and obviously finding that the Lord, uh, you know, some people pass Christian faith off as just being uh, closed-minded and uh, simple-minded or whatever. Uh, but um, to have God really show up and meet you in the highest level of intellectual thought in a university setting where you're writing uh, papers uh, on these different philosophies and belief and saying there's more to it. Uh, with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. And I think, yeah, that's a good challenge for our audience, right? Well, we need to take a quick break. Um, we have an exciting announcement about an event that's coming up in February. And when we come back, we've got some more uh, great questions for York. So we are back. Uh, one thing I do want to know, York mentioned suicide. And so I do want to say if anybody in our audience is struggling with suicidal thoughts or thoughts of harming themselves, there is help for you. 
Um, and we do not want you to deal with that alone. And so if that's you right now, we have a link in our show notes that will take you to some resources. Um, and you know, we want you to know that uh, there is meaning and purpose in this life and God cares very deeply about you um, and, and wants to meet you in that, that deep place. Um, so we will have resources for you in the show notes. But getting back into your story, York, so you came to faith through you know, your time at the University of Michigan, um, simultaneously, you know, you're living out uh, your experience in Kappa Alpha Psi with your fraternity brothers. I'd love to know, you know, a lot of uh, friends that I've talked to who are members of NPHC organizations, they've experienced some criticism, you know, when they talk to people who aren't part of Greek organizations that how can you be a Christian and be in the NPHC? Like, don't they worship other gods? And so I'd love to hear, did you experience that or have you experienced in your that in your life? And how have you dealt with that criticism mm -hmm. of being a Christian in an NPHC organization? Well, you know, when I started my pledge process, I, I was not a Christian. And then I crossed and I all of a sudden became one. <clears throat> one thing that I didn't share in the last segment was after praying this prayer, you know, I ran into the other room and with tears in my eyes, I, you know, I actually heard the voice of God. And I'm giving, again, giving you the shorter version, but this was the third encounter that I had with, with God. And, um, you know, God said three things that changed my forever. He said, number one, I do exist. And number two, I'm the reason why you exist. Now, th those two data points are the only real data points any philosopher or any critical thinking person really needs because everything else is a derivative, right? So if God exists and he's the reason why we exist, then that our purpose, our meaning is all found in his intention for, for creating us. But the third thing really blew me away. He said, number three, I'm the one who kept you from killing yourself last night, which meant that God was intimately involved in my story. He cared deeply and that he acted, right? And that ruled out many, many of the other gods. You know, I'd read the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads, the Quran. I had, you know, uh, studied Buddhism and all these kinds of isms. And uh, most of them are ruled out when we look at the love of God uh, and how God interacts with us. But when it comes to my faith and my fraternity, you know, here you have to get the picture. I was deeply convicted of what now I know to be sin. Now, I wouldn't have used that word back then, but I had this deep sense that I had wronged the world. I had cheated on my fiance. I had cheated on all these girls. I had been dishonest in the workplace. I had done all these things. I was a bad, bad person. All of a sudden I felt shame. And so I got on the phone. And I uh, spent the entire Christmas day calling everybody that I knew, my best friend from high school, my fraternity brothers. And you have to get the picture. Here's Christmas Day. Here's Satan on the other line. And I say to you, hey, guess what? I'm living for God. I'm living. For... And they're like, hello, is this Satan? You know, and the reason why that was such a monumental trance, you know, because of who I was before. So everybody in my life saw this radical transformation. I remember coming back into the philosophy classroom and and uh, one of my professors, Dr. Morden, I knew because, you know, I, I was friends with him. I knew that he was going to argue that the New Testament was manufactured, uh, a, a kind of residual manufactured from Greek philosophy. And so I spent the whole, you know, Christmas break as a brand new believer studying up and making, re making sure I was ready to defend the faith. And he gets up in his tweed jacket and his beard, just like you would see in the movies. And he starts pontificating. Don't you know that the greatest book in Western civilization, the Bible, owes its existence to Greek philosophy? I raised my hand and I said, well, Dr. Morton, I, I don't mean any disrespect, but here's some intertestamental evidence and archaeological evidence. And, and I began to lay out a case for the historicity of the Bible. And all the atheists in the class were looking down the aisle at me thinking, is this 
Is, he, is this a joke? Is he setting us up? Because I would persecute the Christians before. But when it came to my fraternity brothers, it was just a real painful story because, you know, many of them, and I'm, I'm still in relationship with them to this day. We, we just celebrated our 30 year anniversary. So uh, that'll tell you something about me. But, you know, it was just heartbreaking because I had, been, I had gotten radically saved and most of them had just grown up in what I call churchianity. They were churched. They weren't real Christians. And so their experience of me as a radical born again believer was I was, I was an extremist. I was a, uh, a radical. I, you know, I had maybe got, gone into a cult or something. And who was I to tell them about the Bible? Who was I to tell them about what it meant to be uh, a follower of Jesus? And so unfortunately, for about eight months, there was this big split uh, that centered around my story. And for a while, I actually had to take a break from my fraternity. And eventually, I did come back and was financially active and active in the fraternity. But there was a period of time where it was just tumultuous. And I was ripping the fraternity apart. And, you know, why aren't I at things that, you know, and so it was very, very difficult. Now, outside my fraternity, my my family had absolutely, they were convinced that I had gone off the deep end. Maybe I was insane or had joined a cult because they had never seen radical Christian faith before. And so I was living in multiple worlds of disruption in the wake of all the relational pain that I had caused with my fiance and my friends, to my fraternity, to my own family. I was experiencing radical, radical disruption. Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing that. And I think, you know, for a lot of our students listening, they'll, they'll relate with that of like, you know, they're, they're coming into this new life as a believer and you're trying to figure out what that new life looks like. Also, you're like 20 years old. So your brain is still developing, you know, and you're trying to navigate that out. And you, it's so hard to figure out how to handle that criticism when you are a new believer. Um, and you can really just feel hit on all sides. And so I think our audience is going to hear that from you and be like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Because it can also feel, you know, really isolating um, if you don't have people on that journey with you, which I think a lot of our students can feel that. They feel like, oh, I'm the only person who's really trying to follow Jesus, you know, in my Greek experience. Um, yeah. So. I know you're still involved with your fraternity today. Um, and I think that that's really um, a, a quality of the NPHC system that I admire um, because in the predominantly white Greek system, you know, we talk about being an, a member for life, um, but we often use past tense. So like I was a Pi Phi in college, you know, et cetera. But I think the alumni connection and the, you know, reinforcement of this is a lifelong commitment is something that I really admire about NPHC groups. And so I'd love to hear from you, like, how has your fraternity impacted your faith throughout your life? And are there maybe one or two values from Kappa Alpha Psi that you really resonate with that continue to impact you today? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it has deeply impacted me, you know, coming from familial brokenness and uh, developing relationships that have, you know, actually existed all, all the way to now. Uh, those are some of my long longest standing uh, relationships. I wish they were closer. Um, but I, I would say that once I began to realize that everything in the fraternity world wasn't against the Bible and against God, you know, I think there's this knee-jerk reaction, especially from younger Christians that, that says, well, we can't partake in this because there is so much that's wrong 
And if I, if I wade back into those waters, I'm going to be corrupted or, you know, once we kind of get over that, we realize that our faith is actually much more elastic and sturdy than we think that it is. We can actually appreciate the things, you know, when I think about my founders, when I think about Elder Watson Diggs and, and the other founders of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, and I think about the values that these men had had, the teaching that these men gave to other black men around the scriptures, around a faith in Jesus, robust faith. So, you know, some of our, our values are things like fidelity and knowledge and a commitment to community. Well, those things came directly out of our founders' commitment to the word of God, to the person of Jesus Christ. And if we look back in, in, in the history of many, many of our fraternities and sororities, uh, the vast majority of them had women and men who were committed to following Jesus. Um, and so getting back to those values and challenging our fraternity and sorority members, if you really want to be true to the tradition that you're pledging yourself to, take a look at something. Now, that's not all. I understand that. But at least for my fraternity, it was easier to make the argument that we need to be true brothers. We need to have true knowledge. We need to have a true commitment to community. I wish that I were a better brother in those regards. You know, and so it wasn't that I was doing things right. In fact, I did most things wrong as a, as a new believer. And, um, but at the same time, these values, they shape these organizations, these institutions. And I, I actually think that it is these very values that have, have lent themselves to the longevity of these historic organizations that have stood the test of time over a hundred years, most of these fraternities and, and, and sororities. And it's because of the foundation that they have on these values that come for, for the most part from the word of God. Yeah, which is something that I've also uh, appreciated about uh, MPHC uh, chapters. I had a good friend who was a brother of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, and um, he invited me, you know, to some different meetings. And I appreciated how they really fronted that uh, of, hey, if you're going to be a member of this organization, you are committing to becoming a better man a better future husband, a better future father, a better future uh, involvement in your community and the sense of responsibility and ownership to say, hey, if you've made it here into the collegiate system and into the Greek system, you are also um, going to help pull up those around you and, and those in your community and, and put that on the forefront. And as history has shown, some of the greatest civil rights leaders were came out of uh, Greek organizations. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. obviously being uh, an Alpha Phi Alpha, uh, brother of Alpha Phi Alpha. And so um, it's something that I think can get overlooked a lot of times because when you look at the Greek system on the surface, it's just all work hard, play hard, parties, girls, sex, drinking, drugs, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. But to see on the foundational level, the driving force and the vision of that some of these uh, founders had, um, don't always align with what you see in practice. And this is something that Allison and I spoke to in the first episode, that there's a difference a lot of times in the Greek system between the principles and the practices uh, of what you see. And I think when you look at a lot of the principles, there is a, a lot of overlap because um, these organizations were uh, born out of a lot of Christian principles and everything. But the question is, do those get practiced in actual everyday life um, right. and, and living that out? And you've alluded to a lot of that. You know, that's what we the, the disruption that you were experiencing, you know, is what we've also often referred to on this podcast is the the tension of being Greek and Christian. 
you know, <laughs> there is a sense of tension of trying to follow Jesus in the Greek system, which in practice doesn't always align with the Christian ethic and lifestyle. And it is really disruptive and it is really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And so to that end, I mean, uh, you know, this might be backtracking a little bit in the story, but are there particular ways in which you grew in your faith because of your experience in the fraternity? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is true for every Christian. If you're not experiencing struggle in your walk with God, you will not grow. Uh, some of that can be, you know, self-imposed, uh, fasting, disciplines of prayer, getting in uh, accountability relationships with others. Those are struggles. Uh, and certainly, you know, the things that are in our lives, uh, difficult people, difficult circumstances, these are all opportunities for God to grow our faith, to strengthen us. And, um, you know, so don't despise the struggle and uh, don't try to um, circumvent the struggle by living a dichotomous life. And what I mean by that is that it's very easy to get out of pain and struggle simply by going along, simply by leading a, a double life, simply by being silent when you need to be vocal, simply by, by living what I call a dichotomous life press into the struggle, press into the pain, and live an authentic whole life. Don't be two people. Be the same person on Saturday night as you are on Sunday morning. And uh, God will use that struggle. He will use that pain. He will use the cost that you have to pay to be one person. He will use that to build integrity that will last a lifetime. That's an excellent word. I love that. Um, I think I'm going to say that again, press into the struggle, press into the pain. Um, I think our society often tells us, oh, escape the struggle, escape the pain. If you're feeling pain, something is wrong. And, you know, not that, sure, there are cases for that. Um, But I think, right, the Christian ethic is press into that, find God in the midst of that um, and wrestle with that. Um, So I love that as a closing thought, I think, for our students, because now, right, the temptation is so high to want to escape the struggle, escape the pain, you know, just sleep through it or distract yourself from it. Yet, I think that's one of the gifts we can give to our brothers and sisters right now is them watching us wrestle in the midst of that pain and that struggle of this current moment um, and see us really find God there. Um, so I, I really appreciate that word. I think that's a prophetic word for our students right now. Um, well, that really about wraps up our time with York. York, I'm so grateful uh, for you join for the fact that you joined us today, gave us your time, um, and we're we're really grateful for the words you shared with our students. Um, if you want more information about York, you're like, wow, this guy, like, I want to learn more from him. You can visit this website, which is www.tellthestory.net. We're going to include that in our show notes Um, and follow him on social media. He is quite an active social media person. I enjoy following him on Instagram and Facebook. His handle is at York Moore. We'll include it in the show notes so you can find him. Um, And once again, thank you so much, York, for joining us. Oh, it's easy. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. And we'll see all of you on our next episode. The Greek and Christian Podcast is produced by Greek InterVarsity, a nonprofit college ministry for fraternity and sorority students. Our ultimate vision is to see every fraternity and sorority connected to a community of Greek Christians so that every Greek is just one friend away from knowing and following Jesus. To learn more, find a community on campus, or partner with us, visit greek.intervarsity.org.